The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello, Giants fans, and welcome to a new edition of the Valentine's Views Podcast here on Big Blue View Radio, part of the SB Nation family of podcasts. I'm your host, Ed Valentine of Big Blue View. Today's show is going to be a summer show focused largely on NFC East rival the Dallas Cowboys, last season's NFC East champion. We are going to interview... R.J. Ochoa of SB Nation's Dallas Cowboys website, Blogging the Boys. We've had R.J. on before, and it's always an entertaining, friendly conversation with R.J., who's a good guy, does a good job at Blogging the Boys. So we will talk to R.J. That will be part of a summer series where we are going to be reaching out to writers, podcasters from all of the teams that the Giants will play in 2019. We will try to get to everyone throughout the course of the summer to each team that the Giants play. Can't promise that that will happen, but that is the goal, is to get to uh, to someone from each team so that we can talk about uh, the Giants' opponents in the 2019 season. Before we get to our interview with RJ, there are a couple of Giants topics that I wanted to uh, mention that I wanted to uh, focus on here briefly. The first is the fact that Monday night when his uh, when his face was shown on the Jumbotron at Yankee Stadium, uh, rookie quarterback Daniel Jones, the sixth overall pick, did receive some boos from some of the folks in the crowd. You know, I... I, I the only thing I can say about that is that that is completely and utterly ridiculous. What are you booing? Why are you booing it? You know, if you're one of the folks that was in the stands booing Daniel Jones, you know, what in the world was that all about? Are you still upset that he was the sixth overall pick? What did Daniel Jones do to deserve to be booed by anyone, especially anyone calling himself a Giants fan at this point in time? The young man hasn't taken a snap in a game, hasn't even taken a snap in a training camp practice or a preseason game. 
We don't know anything about the career that the young man is going to have. Maybe you're still upset that he was the sixth overall pick. Maybe you thought the Giants should have done something else. Maybe you thought they should have taken Dwayne Haskins or Josh Allen or taken Jones with their second pick, 17th overall. Whatever. That no longer matters. I think it's silly that you're booing Daniel Jones when he's done nothing at this point in time. He is a giant now. He is your quarterback of the future. Whether you loved the pick or hated the pick, you have to give the pick a chance at this point. Booing him before he's done anything is just utterly ridiculous, especially if you've been paying attention the, the young man had an excellent spring. He showed a lot of he showed a lot of the characteristics that Dave Gettleman was attracted to. He showed a lot of the reasons why the Giants had faith in him to make him the number six overall pick. We don't know how it's going to turn out, but let's give it a chance. Let's not bury this kid before he's had an opportunity, whether that opportunity comes this year, whether it comes next year, whenever it comes, you know, I, I think that you should be you should be ashamed of yourself if you were one of the people booing him the other night. I also found it sort of silly that there was a reaction from some of the media that was sort of incredulous to this because, you know, I'm a little bit incredulous, yes, but there are certain members of the media that banged the drum you know, for a long time before the draft that Jones didn't belong in the first round, you know, who criticized the fact that Dave Gettleman, you know, selected him at number six. If you're one of those media members, then you can't be incredulous. You can't be, you know, in disbelief that people would boo him at this point because you created, you know, part of the narrative that said he didn't deserve to be to be drafted number six and that picking him was a mistake, Maybe it will be a mistake. Maybe it won't be a mistake. Maybe he wins Super Bowls. Maybe he turns out to be Blake Bortles. Three, four, five years from now, we'll know. And maybe down the road, we'll have reasons to boo Daniel Jones. Right now, that that sort of reaction you know, to seeing his picture on a Jumbotron is just silly. The other thing I wanted to, uh, to talk about here is the Giants' second first-round pick, Dexter Lawrence. And, you know, I keep getting questions about Dexter Lawrence and about why the Giants are using him at defensive end. And I don't want to get into a long-winded discussion of that. I just wanted to point out that we did a piece at Big Blue View on Tuesday in regards to Lawrence. There's a lot of good explanation in there as to what the Giants are doing on defense the difference is in a 3-4 front, which is their base now, to a 4-3 front, you know, which they used to run under Steve Spagnola, Perry Fuel, you know, and other defensive coordinators for the last 20 years or so before James Betcher came on board. Um, you know, there are good reasons why the Giants are using Lawrence the way they're using him. And one of the things that that I pointed out in, in the piece at Big Blue View is, look, they didn't just decide this one day in minicamp that, oh, we'll play Lawrence at defensive end. They knew what they were doing. They knew this is how they wanted to use him when they drafted him. They knew what kind of defensive line they wanted to create with B.J. Hill and Dalvin Tomlinson and Dexter Lawrence. 
you know, a flexible line where all three of them can play all of the different spots on the line. The point that you have to remember about the three, four defense is that the three down guys, the guys with their hands in the dirt, are guys who are really, you know, defensive tackles. A guy may be listed as an end because he's not over the center, but he's really playing a defensive tackle. It's really a three defensive tackle set with two defensive ends standing up. So people just need to kind of get over this. Oh my God, he's a 340-pound guy playing defensive end. The Giants aren't asking a defensive end in this system to be a speed rusher like OCU Minora or to, you know, to come off the edge like Jason Pierre-Paul or, or Justin Tuck or Michael Strahan or one of those guys. It's a different ask. It's a different technique. They're being asked to push the pocket, to control a gap, to control the run so that the middle of the defense is stout. So, you know, I, I think that, that people need to stop sort of obsessing over the fact that that the Giants aren't lining up Dexter Lawrence at the nose all the time. Um, you know, because the three defensive linemen are actually playing similar techniques and being asked to do similar things. They're just lining up over different players. So, you know, so just, just give the defense a chance, folks. Let's see how it how it unfolds in the preseason and in the regular season. But I think that in the end, you know, the question with Dexter Lawrence is, will he push the pocket enough to be an impact player in the pass rush? And we'll have to find out. I think Lawrence is going to be a good player overall. It's just going to be a question of how much will he give the Giants in the passing game. I just wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't get all, you know, all bent out of shape about the fact that he's not playing the nose. Okay, Giants fans, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, and then we will come back and chat with R.J. Ochoa of Blogging the Boys about the Dallas Cowboys. All right, Giants fans, I'm joined now by R.J. Ochoa of Blogging the Boys, SB Nation's Dallas Cowboys website. R.J., thank you very much for uh, once again, you know, venturing over here into uh, Big Blue territory. Of course. Uh, it's great to be among friends, and it's uh, a great time, uh, certainly in the off season. To, uh, to look at the team that's going to, you know, be uh, looking up at the Cowboys come late December. Oh, man, are we start we start <laughs> we starting that way already? Oh, jeez. Here we go. All right. Well, we'll we'll play nice here, RJ. We'll play nice. All right. Of course. So so, so let me ask you, you know, obviously we're we're through OTAs now. We're through all of the quote-unquote roster building season, all of the spring stuff and we're you know, everybody's looking forward to training camp. Your feeling about the Cowboys, I don't know how many OTAs or anything you were actually able to get to, you know, to witness personally, but your feeling about the Cowboys coming out of the spring, do you feel good about this team heading into training camp or do you have some concerns? I think, you know, I think I feel as good as I can. Um, you know, there's, um, it feels like every day is a little different. You know, some days a little bit more optimistic, some days a little pessimistic. Uh, the Cowboys certainly very interesting. You know, you look at offensively, um, it really kind of rides with Kellen Moore and how successful he can be in his first season. 
Obviously, Randall Cobb's a name that, you know, gets you, um, you know, perks your ears a little bit when you look at that and Jason Witten returning in, in all his bald glory. Um, but, but you know, when, when I do feel pessimistic, I do think about this is a team that won 10 games last year, and I think a lot of people just assume they'll return to that form. But, you know, it's important to remember that of the 10 they won, you know, they beat the Falcons and the Lions off last-second field goals, and they beat the Eagles the second time off that tip ball that ended up in Amari Cooper's hand. So, you know, this is a team that I think is kind of, a, you know, a couple of, uh, you know, blows of the wind away from being very different in terms of how they're viewed nationally. Well, I have to ask you since you since you brought up that that name that that Giants fans just cringe at every time we hear it because you know I don't think the Giants in 15 years I don't think they've ever been able to cover Jason Witten. Um, I'm just curious how you feel about his return to play and, and what he looks like. You know, it's um, I think he looks the same, honestly, as weird as that is, because the same for him has, has been what it's been for so long. It's, it's been a long time since he, uh, you know, I think obviously this is a, a great memory for us against, you know, the Eagles. But since he was the, the physical guy running without his helmet, I mean, you know, that was uh, 12 years ago now. Mm-hmm. And so he's he's just kind of methodical. I mean, I, I, I'm a Spurs fan, so he is very Tim Duncan-esque. Uh, he's very efficient with his body movements and kind of keeping himself young as, as best as he can. But in terms of what to expect from him, you know, there is all this talk about how he's he's understood that it's a bit of a reduced role. Like, I know that he was uh, not great in the booth, but I still can't imagine that he would give up being the color analyst on Monday Night Football to come play 12 snaps a game. I, I just I can't see that. And they've never been able to you know say no to him in any capacity. So I think we're going to see the same Jason Witten that we've seen for a long time, a, a functional, useful tight end. Yeah, let's let's just say that that the the Monday night football booth was was not a good place for Jason Witten. Sure. <laughs> yeah, it was uh it was rough. Yeah, it was. Hey, you also mentioned the the new offensive coordinator for Dallas, Kellen Moore. Can you tell, you know, tell our our listeners a little bit about why that change was made? what Moore's going to bring, you know, and, and if there are any concerns with him calling the plays for the first time. I think there are definitely concerns to start there, at least uh, for me. There, there are people who have, you know, are are bathing in the Kellen Moore Kool-Aid uh, these days, but they're concerns for me because two years ago, this guy was a backup, you know, for the Cowboys. Three years ago, he was ahead of Dak Prescott on the depth chart, and if not for breaking his ankle at training camp, uh, which helped Dak become the second quarterback on the depth chart, and obviously Tony Romo would get hurt. Uh, if, if not for those sort of happenstance events, I mean, who knows? He, he might still be, you know, getting by as a backup quarterback in the NFL. So I think there is some hesitation given his, you know, youth. Uh, you know, he's almost 30 years old, so he's not necessarily, a, you know, a young guy, but uh, he, um, you know, he is an experience. This is his second year as a coach in the NFL, and obviously his first as an offensive coordinator. He, uh, you know, really made his hay. I think people remember him as the quarterback for Boise State, uh, all-time winning as quarterback in college football history in terms of games won, uh, played all four years there at Boise. And so he's a legend in that capacity. And, you know, you mentioned why, you know, he's the new offensive coordinator. Kellen Moore went undrafted, and the one guy that gave him a shot at the time with the Detroit Lions was Scott Linehan. And Scott was drawn to Kellen's mind. Kellen's father was a coach, and so... 
Uh, a lot of people have said that he's going to be a coach and he's kind of been on that path. And he does have a, a great and interesting cerebral approach to the game. And uh, Scott Linehan just wasn't cutting it for the Cowboys. You know, there was, there's a case to be made that Scott Linehan should have been fired last year after the 2017 season. You know, during that run without Zeke Elliott on the field, the Cowboys scored in the single digits three times, three games in a row, uh, under 10 points. That had never happened before in the history of the Dallas Cowboys. Yet, you know, Cowboys brought Scott Linehan back, and it was just time. I think that, you know, they they sort of treaded water with him as much as they could. But offensively, even with Amari Cooper, they were a stagnant team, and there has to be more. I mean, I think we both agree they have a lot of talent there, and they've got to be able to score, you know, 27 to 30 points, um, you know, at will, and they couldn't last season. Interesting, you know. So I mean, it's interesting with the with a brand new play caller. Is the offense, you know, from what you've seen, is the offense going to be, you know, a different style, a different scheme? Are we are we going to to watch the Cowboys play and and see a type of offense that that we're not used to from Dallas? You know, I, I think that's certainly the hope for a lot of people, and obviously they're keeping things, um, you know, close to the vest for now, but. You know, Kellen does seem more inclined to utilize Dak Prescott's strengths. You know, there have been many people, I know Dan Orlovsky, who was a teammate of Kellen's with the Lions, has talked about this. Uh, Many people believe he's going to change Dak Prescott's launch point. He's going to get Dak Prescott out of the pocket, not necessarily, um, you know, from a perspective of picking up yards, but from a perspective of, of throwing outside the pocket. You know, Scott Linehan had a really archaic viewpoint uh, in terms of how an offense should roll. Uh, that's been publicly chastised by now former members of the Cowboys. Both Des Bryant and Cole Beasley are very firm on the record at how uh, you know how old and out of style that offense was. Kellen is is new, and Kellen is hip, and Kellen is obviously the NFL has gravitated to a lot of college game concepts, and Kellen understands those better than most. Uh, it's really interesting, you know, watching his old uh, QB camp with John Gruden when he was entering. We obviously didn't go, didn't get drafted, but entering the draft process. And kind of understanding how he views the game and how things worked at Boise. And I think it is fair to say things will be different to what degree, though, obviously remains unknown. RJ, you mentioned Dak Prescott, and we have to go there eventually. Really a twofold question for you regarding Dak Prescott. The first part of that question is, you know, how do you feel about Prescott right now as a franchise quarterback, you know, in terms of his development? The other part of that question is, where do you see the whole Prescott, you know, contract situation heading in terms of uh, of, of what kind of money he might eventually end up making? Well, in terms of, you know, how I feel about Dak now, I do think he's a franchise quarterback. And I think that he's a quarterback that's had a lot of success, obviously, three years into his career. He's got two division titles, a playoff win, and I think he's still an ascending player. I think people look at the success that the 2016 Cowboys had and kind of measure Dak's success against that. Well, he hasn't won 13 games since. You know, he hasn't had a, a year akin to Rookie of the Year honors. Obviously, he won that award and I think was, you know, in, in contention for MVP uh, that season as well, though obviously Zeke does help. But I, I think he's an ascending player who has shown a lot and was obviously a, a lottery ticket sort of fine as a fourth-round draft pick. And I think that there's all the reason in the world to believe he'll continue to progress. He's progressed in many capacities over the course of his three seasons. And now he finally has, for a full season, 
a star playmaking wide receiver in Amari Cooper. He has not had that for an entire season. Yes, he had Dez Bryant in 2016, who did get hurt uh, then. And then Dez kind of ran on fumes in 2017. And then he got Amari last season. And we saw how effective he could be with Amari, uh, obviously, down the stretch of last season. In terms of how much he'll get paid, I do think that Dak Prescott has a contract extension before the season begins, incidentally, against uh, you know the New York Giants. And I think that Dak, you know, I, I mean, you follow the business of the NFL and the business of the quarterback position. And Carson Wentz just got $32 million a year. And, you know, I wrote something a, a while back about how Dak's statistical, you know, perception compares favorably to Russell Wilson just in his three years in the NFL. Obviously, Russell has a, a career much longer than that. Well, Dak's resume compares even more favorably to Carson Wentz's. And, you know, I think it's I'd certainly be interested to see how a, a Giants uh, perspective feels about this, because I think that Dak has accomplished more than Carson. And I know there's that's a really difficult subject to gauge because of Carson's injuries and whatnot. But I, I think that Dak's going to be somewhere in the ballpark of thirty three, thirty four million dollars a year because that's the going rate. You know, I'll chime in on that a little bit, and I think you're you're probably right. That is the going rate, and I think that that when you compare you know, the careers so far of of Carson Wentz and Dak Prescott, for me, it comes back a little bit to one of the arguments that gets made when we talk about. Eli Manning, you know, over the last 15 years and Ben Roethlisberger. Now, on a Sunday when they're both playing, you can make an argument that Ben Roethlisberger is a better player. But mm-hmm. but part of part of the judgment and and one of the skill sets has to be showing up every Sunday. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and I think that Obviously, it's worked out well for the Eagles in terms of, you know, having Nick Foles as a backup. But when you judge that starting quarterback, I think part of the judgment has to be, is he there every single Sunday? And I think, you know, when you look at Prescott and Wentz, you know, that's a claim that Prescott can make and Wentz can't. Totally. I mean, I, I think it's also worth mentioning. And, you know, people, you know, this is obviously a subject of, Incredible debate. Uh, Dak is also, I mean, to your point, he, he's you know physically and health from a health perspective there every week. He's also a phenomenal leader of the team. Um, you know, he is the the heartbeat and the pulse of the Cowboys and of their entire organization. And I know it was kind of a report that that got you know mixed reviews, but there was the report that Carson Wentz was a bit of a divisive presence in the Eagles locker room and to Carson's credit and I feel like this isn't said often enough he dealt with an extraordinary circumstance you know watching Nick uh you know kind of live the life he lived uh you know he got kind of serenoed by Nick Foles and that's uh that's a really unfortunate thing to have to go through yeah it is I don't know what to make of of those reports when it comes to to Carson Wentz and, and all of sure. that I mean that's that's a discussion that that I need to have with some of the folks over at uh, over at Bleeding Green Nation, <laughs> but uh, you know that's that's so that's a a topic for another day, as as they say. All right, certainly. Let's talk a little bit about the Cowboys draft class, and I don't have the whole class right here in front of me. I did, you know, I did look at it a little bit earlier. 
and I'm looking at the first two picks, defensive tackle, you know, Tristan Hill and, you know, center guard Connor McGovern, and I'm thinking, you know, that's a first two picks. That's a that's the beginning of a draft class that would make Dave Gettleman and his love for hog mollies proud. So <laughs> so I guess, you know, my question is what are your thoughts on the on on the Dallas draft class at this point? Well, my first thought is I'm really you know, sick of people trying to claim that Amari Cooper is the Cowboys first round draft pick. There's a lot of Cowboys fans that do that. You know, look, dude, yes, Amari Cooper's on the Cowboys, but they did not have a first round draft pick. It's okay to admit that out loud. Um, and I, that's just a little pet peeve of mine. But, you know, Tristan Hill's a really interesting player. Rod Marinelli has kind of made his hay um, across the NFL, but specifically in Dallas kind of getting by with average Joes, you know, along the interior of his defensive line. He's gotten a lot of guys paid, uh, whether that's Jason Hatcher, whether that's Henry Melton. Uh, I mean, lots of guys have, have really played inside for him and then gone on and really not had the same success as elsewhere. It, it really has not been uh, a situation where he has had an elite talent uh, that he can really take to the next level. He did have David Irving, certainly was a fantastic player for the Cowboys, win on the field, but his uh, his trials and tribulations are well documented. And so Tristan Hill, you know, the Cowboys, their their first round draft picks have been really telegraphed, you know, the last few seasons. Everybody knew they wanted Leighton Van Der Esch last year. Obviously, everybody knew they wanted Zeke Elliott. Uh, the last time they really kind of stunned people was Zach Martin. But the whole world, the whole draft community knew that the Cowboys were in on Tristan Hill and they got the guy they wanted. He's a young player. He has, uh, you know, a lot of tenacity, which is a Rod Marinelli quality. And Rod's really bonded with him, which is something that I think is, uh, you know, something you consider that goes a long way. So I think it's an exciting position, especially when you consider that he'll be lining up on a defensive line that features Robert Quinn and Demarcus Lawrence. In terms of their third round pick, Connor McGovern, that one was a little bit of a head scratcher just because, you know, I think people reach a point where they say another offensive lineman for the Cowboys. You know, they had a, a second round grade on McGovern and they were thrilled that he fell all the way to the third round. And, you know, it does seem a bit more of an investment in the future of the Cowboys offensive line. Uh, for anyone that's unaware of the status of it, Lyle Collins, their current right tackle, uh, is set to be a free agent in the offseason. And at that point, you're going to have to make a move. And I think the Cowboys are planning on flipping Connor Williams, their second round draft pick last year, out to right tackle. He did play tackle at the University of Texas. And then they'll slide Connor McGovern into left guard and they'll, they'll keep the status quo at offensive line as long as they can. Uh, so it's a move of, of future and depth, which is, uh, you know, never bad to have, but certainly not that sexy. All right, let me ask you this, RJ. You know, obviously, Giants, Cowboys, NFC East rivals. Two questions for you. First, you know, at this point, your early thoughts, you know, on the NFC East, you know, in total. I, you know, um, I mean this with no disrespect, uh, but I think it's a two horse race. I think it's Cowboys and Eagles. I think the Redskins are certainly interesting and, and we'll see how much Dwayne Haskins plays. Um, I, I'm not personally of the belief that Daniel Jones will play that much in 2019. I would love to be wrong just from an interest standpoint. Um, and obviously, if he plays, that could swing the Giants' favor. But uh, I do think this is a Cowboys-Eagles division, at least as far as 2019 is concerned. And, you know, you, you, you hinted at it a little bit, but your thoughts, you know, you've seen the offseason that the Giants had. You're, you're aware of the, the Daniel Jones dynamic, obviously. You know, 
your thoughts on on the whole Dave Gettleman era with the Giants to this point and, and what you think the Giants are at this point? Well, you know, I'll be honest and say we've had a lot of fun on social media and, you know, coming at the Giants' expense. And But I, I will be honest and say that I, I greatly respect the Giants and I greatly respect the Maros. And I think that it's a premier organization in the world of sports. Um, I think they're sharp uniforms. I mean, they've got everything that, you know, I look for uh, in, a, in an organization. And certainly the the moves that have been made have been very questionable. And I feel like the Daniel Jones thing has almost helped people forget that the Giants traded away Odell Beckham Jr., which is a thrill for me because I, I now get to root for a player. I, I know, I'm sure you know what that's like. You know, you, you get a player out of your division and suddenly you can enjoy their game a little bit more. And so I am excited to root for Odell Beckham Jr. I do think Evan Ingram and Sterling Shepard are, you know, legitimate players that need to be feared uh, across the division. But the Daniel Jones pick, it's funny. And it it is, um, you know, it is something that right now is, you know, the responsibility of people that trust draft evaluators and whatnot. But what I will say in in all honesty and in all actuality, if, you know, you're uh, an NFL general manager and you love a quarterback, I mean, you have fallen head over heels for him, you take him. I mean, you know, and I, I don't think you apologize for that. And, you know, because if Daniel Jones is a Super Bowl winning quarterback, you know, five years from now, it does not matter where Kyler Murray went, where, you know, anybody else went because the Giants got their guy and they got the results they wanted. Um, But, you know, I think the the interim between now and then is a lot of skepticism. uh, And it's a really interesting thing to happen in a in a market like New York. You know, RJ, I think that that you make a point that I've tried to make at Big Blue View a bunch of times, and I do this thing called Big Blue View Rules for Draft Success, and one of those discusses, you know, getting a quarterback if you need a quarterback, and I talk to a whole slew of, of analysts, and, you know, some believed in Jones and some didn't, but you hit the nail on the head when it came to the importance of quarterback and you know a lot of people thought the Giants would be better off maybe trying to draft Josh Allen at number six and wait for Jones at 17 or swing a trade to get back up into the first round you know 9 10 13 somewhere and get Daniel Jones but every you know every analyst I talked to said the same exact thing if you love a quarterback you know it's too important of a position you don't mess around now will get will dave gettleman be right in the long run who knows we won't know that for you know you got what you guys are going through with dak prescott now you've seen him for 3 years you you pretty much know what he is you know how much more growth he has and that's where the giants are i think with daniel jones you have to wait to see what he becomes and what the giants put around him no, I think that's well said. I think um, that's a really rational point of view, a, a big blue view, if you'll allow me. And um, I, I think it's hard. It's hard to have that point of view, honestly, as a fan. You know, you're, you know, especially when it comes to the draft, because you, you know, and you, you want this new toy. You know, you, you're, it's, it's the, it's the first day of school after Christmas, and all your friends are telling you, "I got this toy, I got that toy," and you're like, "Yeah, well." You know, I um I, I got a new uh I got a new sock. You know, I didn't even get the the whole pair. The other one, you know, they only shipped one. And so once I get the other sock, I'll wear them to school, and you guys can see them, and they're really cool and they're really functional. Um, it's it's a hard thing, and I I certainly don't think it's helped 
that uh, the national response has been, uh, you know, a vitriol towards Daniel Jones. I think I saw that he was booed at a Yankees game. Uh, it's it's a tough place. I mean, it's New York, and and again, if Daniel Jones one day wins the Super Bowl for the New York Giants, it does not matter. Um, if, if that's your guy, you take him. I, I don't mean to equate these things by any means, but you know, it's kind of similar to the Anthony Davis trade to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers realize that's our guy. We have to have him. It does not matter. Let's let's pull the trigger. It kind of feels like that for Daniel Jones. That's your guy. So you know what? If you're willing to risk your career on that, you know, that guy and his success, do it. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens in a half decade. All right. Yes, we will, RJ. I have one more question for you before I let you go. I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit. And it's not, it might not be the question that you're anticipating because it's not going to be who wins the NFC East or any of that. <laughs> I'm going to give you – you can take one player. You don't have a running back. You can take one player. You can take Zeke or you can take Saquon. Which guy are you going to take? You know, that's a really fascinating question. And um, I, I'll, say, I'll say first I'll take Zeke. But I will say if you told me I can – I'm starting a team today. I'm starting a, a new franchise. I'm figuring everything out. And – um, you know, and everything is, is transitioning and transferring as the way it is today uh, with their histories and whatnot. I think there's certainly a strong argument to make for Saquon Barkley because he doesn't have the off season or excuse me, the off the field. Um, you know, we'll call them hiccups that Zeke Elliott has had over the last three years. He doesn't have that hanging over him. We still are awaiting, you know, word if the NFL is going to handle anything from Zeke's latest instance out in Las Vegas. So because of that, I think that, you know, maybe uh, maybe three days out of the week I'd take Saquon. But four of them, and most specifically Sunday, I'd take Zeke. <laughs> A very, very diplomatic answer from you there, RJ. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I roll. Hey, thank you very much for spending some time with us. Um, we know that, you know, Giants fans like to check out the uh, the NFC East websites around SB Nation, you know, once in a while. Why don't you tell folks a little bit about uh, whether or not you guys have anything special planned for the summer or if you have anything coming up that, uh, that we, we might want to pay attention to? Well, certainly. Uh, obviously, bloggingtheboys.com is always going and, um, you know, talking about uh, America's team, uh, if that was lost. Uh, America's team is the Dallas Cowboys. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting time of year. Certainly, it's the last sort of breath before you dive under, as you know, for the whole run of things. Uh, I think we're just uh, at BTB, we're enjoying it and we're evaluating things. We're looking ahead, evaluating position groups. Uh, obviously, training camp will be a lot of fun. We'll have a lot of uh, things up on the site, a lot of interviews with guys. I'll be out in Oxnard for a week. Um, you know, and who doesn't like the California sun? So uh, we've got some some good times coming up. And uh, I will ask you kindly to just beat the Eagles this season. I think that's really all um, on behalf of Cowboys fans. Get that done, please. Well, you know, we, we would love to oblige. You know, and of course, of course, we would love to. We would love to be one and zero after week one as well. But you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But you know, but beating the Eagles, we can, we we can agree on that. That's always a good thing. Absolutely, uh, I I am fascinated to see this Carson Wentz, Dak Prescott, uh, you know, sort of dichotomy and where that goes. I know I'll be talking to uh, Turf Show Times, uh, our Los Angeles Rams site, about kind of, you know, where Jared Goff is and all. It's a really fascinating time 
in the NFL with all these young quarterbacks. And uh, if Daniel Jones is successful, it will be interesting to see how you handle that financially in a post-Pat Mahomes contract world sometime down the road. You know, Daniel Jones could be the first, you know, billionaire quarterback. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? By the by, the time, five years down the road when it's time for quarterback, you know, for a quarterback contract, I don't even want to know what, what kind of money that has spiraled into, but that's a that's a, a headache for another day. RJ, thank sure. you thank you very very much for spending some time with us and we'll be checking your work out at uh, at blogging the boys and we'll talk to you again uh, probably before week 1. Thanks a lot Ed, we're looking forward to it. All right, take care. All right, our thanks to RJ Ochoa for spending some time with us. Please remember Giants fans to subscribe to Big Blue View Radio on all of your favorite podcast applications. Check out BigBlueView.com. Join the community if you haven't done so already. That will allow you to comment on articles and join the back and forth with other Giants fans. Check us out on Instagram. Check us out on Facebook. Please remember also to give the shows by Dan Pizzuta and Chris Flum a listen here on Big Blue View Radio. All right, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.